Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today we're going to be talking about practical for immune system. So we talked about principles last week in immune system and the three big systems between digestive, lymphatic, and detoxification system as a way to indicate where you're at from an immune system standpoint. And now we're going to talk about how to protect that system and provide a really good platform for you to be successful regardless of the stress you're trying to impose through direct training interventions. So a lot to unpack here. Please check out the module. If you guys haven't heard, we completely updated the website. So if you go to phpodcast.com and you subscribe to get access to the curriculum, you'll see this beautiful laid out course-like fashion. We're going to break it up into our four sections, coaching coaching, nutrition, movement, and training. Each one of those sections is broken up into well over 10 to 12 modules. Human training has 20 modules per, per course. And each one of those modules is broken up into six sections, principles, practical, case study. And then we got our interview with a strength coach or another coach out there. And then we look at the references or resources to help you accentuate your learning. And then finally, an area to journal and track your or keep notes on what you learn from that module. And we feel like this is the best way to learn, but it's more organized and more structured to the, the learning style we want to provide at PH Podcast. Also, check out PH Podcast to order Strength Deficit. This is your go-to resource to learn how to leverage eccentric versus concentric ratios to peak for a certain sport or a certain event within sport. It's a model. It's a framework. It's something to you to use to help improve and deepen your understanding of how to accentuate one aspect of the stress shortening cycle versus taking that away and going from a static position. Finally, check out realize.me. This is your command center for all health and data performance. This is what I use to track all of my data from my wearables, from my blood work, to my training, to everything. And I use this a lot with my clients to help guide and shape how I want to govern their interventions, right? It's a one thing to say that this intervention should work. It's a whole other thing to test that and see if it actually did. And this is what I use Realize for. Realize.me, your command center for all health and performance. I also have a four-part blog series featured on that website. So check Check that out. I think it would be a really cool resource for you to dive into if you're a coach out there trying to do the best for your athletes. Without further ado, let's talk about immune system practical. A lot to unpack. Also tie this into the module because it's going to be a huge, uh, a lot of just stuff to see and visualize and try to get a deeper understanding from this. All right. Practical immune system. Let's get it. So we're going to get into the practical portion of the immune system, right? And just to recap, we we talked about in principles that there's three primary systems within the immune system we need to focus on, right? We have the we have the digestive system, which comprises about 50% of our immune response, right? It's our most exposed area to to outside things like bacteria and viruses. Uh, next would be the actual lymphatic system and then looking at the detoxification system and this interplay between all of them. What we're going to talk about a lot in this practical part is, you know, just how can we manage that, right? The best defense is the good offense. So if we look through all the things that we can do in a immune system function, right? And we're coming off this, this very central theme that we're not doing this to diagnose or cure or create interventions. We're doing this off the pretense that this is a rate limiting step to what we want to accomplish from a training perspective, right? That if people are getting sick, they can't finish their training program, they're going to get compromised results as a result of it. So having an awareness of what is the immune system and how it impacts what we're trying to do from a performance aspect 
is foundational, right? And if we can look at the whole big aggregate picture between all the systems, right? There's no one thing that works in isolation, right? We're not working within a vacuum, right? The cardiovascular system, the central nervous system, the endocrine system, and then as we're talking about today, the immune system, all are interconnected, right? It's, it's a web of coherence, this idea that one system is contingent upon the other, but it's also contingent upon each other. You know, this, this big aggregate thing. And one of the things that I think hopefully will give perspective on this, it just really comes down to balance, right? If we've gotten any theme out to everybody out there thus far with any of the modules, it's going into this concept of it's always going to have to have an equal and opposite reaction to something that we're doing redundantly, right? Training is redundancy. Training is is zeroing in on a singular aspect that hopefully elicits a performance outcome that we want, but balancing that out, relatively speaking, with things that we know that we're gonna have to do, right? It's keeping tread on the tire. So go back and listen to the duality uh, module. Go back and throw through that, right? From principles, practical case study, and then our interview with Mark Fitzgerald. It's this yin and yang philosophy. It's this overarching ethos that at a at a certain point, we're going to pay for our transgressions if we don't do some sort of countermeasure. Parasympathetic, sympathetic. You know, the cardiovascular system between inhalation, exhalation. The endocrine system between the battle between anabolic and catabolic. And now finally looking at this idea of the immune system and managing overall stress and then stress from your environment, right? This exposure to something that our body is not capable of of going through without some sort of immunity-like focus. And that response to that is gonna be contingent upon our overall stress, right? It's the management of eustress and distress, right? So if we're taking anything from the immune system, relatively speaking within our scope, it's trying to understand, you know, really what is the what is the outcome to stress relatively speaking to our body's ability to handle that stress. <clears throat> so one of the key areas that we, we talked about a lot was there's definitive things that make us more vulnerable. Fat is that. Fat is a critical tissue to really evaluate relatively speaking to the immune system. Bottom line is people that are overweight people who have high levels of subcutaneous fat or even visceral fat <clears throat> are going to respond poorly to viruses and and bacteria. You know, just bottom line, that people who have obesity, who are obese, are going to respond less than favorably to something that someone who's less obese or as ideal body composition. And I hope this doesn't come off as anything other than just trying to elucidate the fact that being excess body mass, being excess body fat is no matter what, counterproductive. And it leads to this other question, you know, as we look through training outcomes, you know, one of the things that I think is paramount to really understand is if we don't rule out rate limiting steps, right? And we've talked about this in our coaching module, the goal of what is the bottleneck, we're probably not gonna get the level of throughput or outcome that we want. That's a pretty heavy thought to think about, right? So if body composition and specifically body fat is a rate limiting step prioritizing improving body comp into a high stressful situation 
like in season, postseason, playing a competitive schedule while having testing and finals, preserving lean muscle mass and decreasing body fat is all paramount. And one of the things that we find a lot with like competitive periods and high stress periods is people use food as a coping mechanism, right? Very satiating, hedonic foods that are sweet and savory and calorically dense will be preferred over foods that are less calorically dense but higher micronutrients. But ultimately, this is why you see a lot of people de- actually make regression in their body composition in season. They're exercising at a high level, but their stress is way up and they're making poor food choices from their body compositional standpoint, right? They are energy deprived, they're overly fatigued. Remember fatigue, mass fitness. They wanna compensate that by eating energy rich foods, plus their stress is really, really high. And we'll go through how epinephrine and norepinephrine are direct response and cortisol are direct response to high levels of stress and this has a direct correlation with body composition. But when you're in this fight or flight state, you think you need to have very calorically dense foods regardless of functional need. And yes, you do need to increase your energy intake during competitive periods. This is a fact, unequivocally. But it comes back again to making better choices with more nutrient-dense foods and foods that are going to be better overall for immune function, right? Micronutrient-rich foods, prebiotic, probiotic-rich foods, seasonal, organic, all have a strong influence on our ability to manages from our digestive system, our immune system, and our detoxification system, right? And this goes into that best offense and some best, our best defense is about a good offense, right? We need to, we need to really establish a proactive approach to improving our immune response in high stress periods by putting things that are better for our body on a more continuous basis. But one of the things that we see a lot, and this is a very simple thing to kind of look at from a schematic standpoint, is body fat, specifically white adipose tissue, is is less than favorable from a body compositional standpoint, right? When we look at we look at body composition in general, right? We can we talked about this in our endocrine uh, system, but this interplay between catabolic and anabolic, and if we're looking to build muscle or if we're looking to lose weight, we need to be in one aid and, but there's a, there's a catch 22 right behind that by being a, a, a surplus to increase body mass and lean muscle mass, there comes a consequence from an inflammatory response, right? We put on more adipose tissue. Being in a deficit and trying to decrease body mass or body composite or body fat comes with a, another downside, right? We have less energy to fight off infection and do things. But as a whole, you know, when we're looking through body composition and we're trying to look at body fat, that we can all hopefully get this image that body fat, and we know the outcome that people who have high levels of body fat and metabolic syndrome are more at risk for infection and, and upper respiratory issues, that body fat in general limits the body's ability to respond to said stress and potential foreign invaders, right? Viruses and bad bacteria, right? So if we look at it from the context of high levels of body fat are just less efficient to handle immunocompromised situations, adding into it high stress periods, we need to prioritize potentially improving body comp to help our body's ability to 
manage said stress, inevitable stress. Now, the other issue comes down to, and we talked about this a little bit with our principles, is you know when we have high levels of body body mass, you know, we're probably running the risk for having GI distress, right? And it's pretty correlated. It's extremely correlated for people who have high body mass or obese to have some sort of gut dysbiosis. You know, we see this quite frankly a lot with people with GERD, people with low hydrochloric acid, people with leaky gut, people with autoimmunity, people with poor digestion, um, flatulence and gas, and even to the point where we see a lot of folks that are overweight have have a hard time passing bowel movements, right? They're constipated. And again, you know, this comes down to the foods that we're eating and the this inflammation we get, but it leads to what this concept calls of leaky gut and low hydrochloric acid, low pepsin, and from either a deficiency in B vitamins, specifically B12 and folate, or from eating foods in abundance that were not really good at breaking down and it's allowing for these peptides or incompletely incompletely broken down proteins enter our digestive system leads to this immune response and this leaky gut you know we have this tight junctions in our gut wall that prevent larger molecules molecules from entering the bloodstream because our body perceives these larger molecules as threats right peptides are always gonna be perceived as a threat because we're supposed to break down that peptide from a protein in our gut with hydrochloric acid and pepsin. And when that enters our gut wall and enters the bloodstream, we're gonna send out this immune response, right? We're gonna start in creating this histamine release and this immuno situation to help us react to these potentially foreign invaders, right? It's better to be safe than sorry in the immune system's perspective. So they're gonna attack this potential foreign invader that's just an incompletely digested protein and create an immune response from that. And this is what autoimmunity really is. It's basically responding to foods and things that our body should, in theory, should be able to handle, but our immune system's compromised because our digestive system's compromised. And our ability to handle that leads to some downstream problems, right? We start to we start to try to create this humorimmunity or the cell-mediated immunity to foods that we're eating on a re- residual basis so every time we're eating foods like gluten or certain dairy proteins or even just certain foods that are just allergenic and in general we start to create the systemic inflammatory response every time and that gluten sensitivity becomes a gluten allergy that dairy sensitivity becomes an allergy that that over time that these foods that we have to eat redundantly because we want to improve our body mass or decrease our body fat, right? And you think about traditional bodybuilding diets, right? Like wake up, egg whites, and oatmeal, right? Okay, egg whites detached from fat, that's gonna quickly digest, that might cause some systemic inflammation. Problematic, egg whites are a really high digestive issue, right? A lot of people have a mild intolerance to egg whites. If you overeat them like six to eight every morning, you're definitely gonna determine some sort, develop some sort of autoimmunity over time. Just a matter of not if, but when, you add in certain stressors, like really stressful training, really stressful uh, situations, like being in a a severe deficit or severe surplus, you start to run in some downstream issues. Oatmeal's gonna have typically gluten, so typically most people are doing you know, quick, quickly processed uh, oatmeal, or maybe like a, a bread of some sort. You know, again, there's going to be a little bit more gluten in that to give it more of a binding agent. Um, there's going to be 
a little quicker breakdown of those. So it's maybe going to lead to more incomplete breakdown within the gut. And that's going to cause some sort of peptides and incomplete, incompletely digested foods to enter the blood, enter the bloodstream and create some sort of autoimmunity going to lunch, right? Maybe the people are eating lean chicken detached from fat, again, quickly digesting. A lot of people develop allergies to chicken breast detached from fat. Um, maybe add in some sort of pasta or some sort of uh, rice. Again, it may or may not cause some sort of issues. And then going to dinner, another protein detached from fat, carbohydrate, whether it's kind of autoimmune safe or autoimmune risque, you know, it's going to cause these problems. And we're eating this on a consistent recurring basis. Maybe we have a whey protein shake post-workout. Again, whey is detached from fat, quickly digesting, incomplete proteins enter that bloodstream, cause autoimmunity. So we're just constantly bombarding our system with foods that are further breaking up these tight junctions, lowering hydrochloric acid, lowering pepsin, and creating this response that we don't want. And this goes into this big issue of why I run into constantly, if it fits your macros, is it predicated off of quality? Quality matters. It's not anecdotal. We know this for a fact unequivocally that when we eat foods broken up in isolation, that there's a consequence to that. And I do agree that thermodynamics and the structure of those thermodynamics with how we allocate certain calories towards protein, carbs, and fat is the most important aspect for for body composition change and body mass change. This is thermodynamics. But on the other end, if we're going that far to measuring or counting calories and measuring our food or measuring how much calories are coming from carbs, protein, or fat, what would be the difference to adding it from a little bit higher quality to getting locally sourced organic seasonal foods, relatively speaking to not, and trying to avoid foods that potentially can cause some allergy or allergenic effect. But aside from that, that anything in excess is going to lead to some downstream problems. This is why fasting is taking on a lot of credence recently because it's giving a, a break to our digestive system which is allowing for our immune system to re respond properly which is going to allow for our detoxification system to uh, respond properly you know even to the point of like drinking more fluids but again you know and this this isn't conspiracy this is proven is when we look at you know fluoride treated waters or chlorine based treated waters that we're we're putting things in there designed to remove bacteria and there's a reason behind that right publicly public water has a lot of exposure to the outside world, right? A lot of it's reprocessed from fecal plants to remove fecal matter. So we don't want that stuff in there. So fluoride and, which is supposed to be theoretically improving health of our, our actual bones and teeth, which not really the truth, more related to vitamin, T, vitamin D3 and K2 and the ability to absorb calcium effectively. But another conversation, another time. But when we look at fluoride and chlorine treated waters that there's going to be a potentially deficiency in in healthy electrolytes uh, and potentially things that you know help our gut populate with with good gut bacteria you know we don't want to put in this like nuclear bomb for all gut bacteria and remove gut diversity that we need balance with our gut our, our gut bacteria diversity so getting filtered water makes a big difference right and if you've been to our been to our muscle mentorship and you've listened to a guy rob jacob speak you know this deuterium based water meaning that we're going to have water with a positive with a better charge to allow for this better more permeable wall around the cell to function properly 
is another element to this. But again, you know, it comes down to natural filtration. So one of the things Rob would recommend is getting water from Icelandic sources, which is going through volcanic ash. It's going to have this more deuterium-based structure, and it's going to help in terms of creating a more robust and higher-functioning cell wall that's responding to positive and negative electronic charges better. I don't want to get too in the weeds on that, but again, it matters the quality. But it's not just blowing smoke. That when we're doing things in excess, like we are for body composition, whether it's being a deficit or a surplus, we're doing high stress training, we're in high stress environments, that if we don't at least consider the quality of what we're doing from a nutritional standpoint, there's gonna be some consequences to that. That is such an important thing to really consider right now. That yes, thermodynamics and hard training, it's the foundation, but if we're not sleeping, if we're not eating quality foods, if we're not drinking plenty of filtered water, that there's gonna be some associated effects from that. We're adding stress on top of stress on top of stress. And remember the idea between hormesis is the difference between the, a poison or an antidote is the dosage. That dosage or that response to that dosage is equally important. That if I respond poorly to this said stress, then it becomes poison prematurely. But if I can respond to that said stress better, more favorably, based off of having the correct setup, then I can be in a better spot to handle that said stress. And that's all I'm trying to say from the more practical, right? And again, we can come back into when we start to store a lot of, a lot of body fat, that is our immune system's way of saying that we have a lot of toxins in the system. Fat is an incredible storage form for toxins. And we start to look down the road of where toxins start to emerge and you start to see males get more of this gynoid body type and storing more body fat in the lower body. And females get to more of this android body type that we're inverting our natural gender-based hormonal profile, hormonal profile going back into the endocrine system that estrogens and aromatase pathways turning these precursors, these androgenic precursors into these estrogens. Those estrogens are gonna be manifested to being stored and increasing storage within fat cells, specifically in the lower body for men. That's a problem. When we start to see men store body fat in the lower body, they have excessively high toxic load and they're now in a very immunocompromised state, if not already, soon. Again, going back to rate limiting steps, we have to fix that problem well beforehand. And again, sticking within scope, right? I do a body comp on someone, I find out their fat mass, their lean muscle mass. I go a little deeper. I start seeing where they store fat. That's interesting. Men are more predetermined from an android body type and a, or androgenic profile from being the dominant hormone of testosterone to storing body fat in their upper body. Yes, there is downstream consequence from cardiovascular risk, from metabolic syndrome. Important, yes. But sometimes we start to see men store a lot of body fat in their lower body and they become what they call estrogenic. They become this, this inverted hormonal profile that's causing problems in terms of a response to other immunocompromised situations like a stressful training, stressful situations, very high periods of viruses circulating. And what is that all leading to the bottom line? Less performance, diminished output, it's a bottleneck. 
find the problem, fix the problem, right? And there's a graphic that I showed on the actual module in the practical section. You know, when we have increased energy intake, we start to potentially produce more prevalence or more potential to store fat and adipose tissue or store energy and adipose tissue. And that could potentially lead to these downstream effects of estrogenic pathways leading to it's leading to inflammation. And one of the things that we start to see with estrogenic fat storage and high toxins and you know things of that nature is we start to accumulate more white fat or white adipose tissue. And the difference between white fat and brown fat or this this uh, I guess more subcutaneous and visceral body fat hopefully is this blood flow and mitochondrial function, right? So with brown fat it's brown because there's more blood flow and there's more mitochondria in that area. It's just more metabolic. So that shiver response, this is why cold thermogenesis is really, really valuable. It stimulates blood flow to certain adipose tissues to make it more metabolic and more mitochondrial rich and more blood flow rich. And this goes into this whole idea, and we talked about this with our, our endocrine system, is looking at basically beta versus alpha cell receptor site on adipose tissue, right? The, the, the central theme is, do we have the right receptor sensitivity to be catabolic for white adipose tissue, metabolic for more tissue, to be more efficient with the energy storage that we have? And again, that leads to this downstream effect of potentially being better equipped to handle more immunocompromised situations. But what does this lead to, right? We can very simply say that that when we are higher adipose tissue, we're just going to be less efficient. And one of the areas that I tied into was this um, research by, uh, by again, Martinson, we talked about that J-shaped relationship to exercise, right? The sedentary, the moderate, and then the excessive amount leads to this response from an immunocompromised, but body composition. There was another article by this author named Neiman looking at connections of immune markers following certain exercise intensity based off of your body composition. And when we have poor body comp, we might have an excess response from a stress response. And we can quantify that by epinephrine and cortisol release, right? That the increased levels of epinephrine and potentially cortisol limit the immune response from lymphocytes and NK killer or natural killer cells post-exercise. and we're going to be more vulnerable, right? And we, we can see this a lot with high levels of inflammation. <clears throat> and, you know, sometimes, too, we can look at, uh, at the inverted, right? It's not always body fat related. It's excess stress related, right? So it's just stress on the body. But when we look at marathoners, their highest risk of getting sick is post-marathon or post-race. <clears throat> and when we look at when they're getting these upper respiratory issues post-run, relatively speaking to the foods they eat, and what does a marathoner eat? A lot of energy-rich, carbohydrate-rich foods devoid of nutritional value because it's just a quantity game, right? Can I get 500 grams, 600 grams of carbohydrates around race, regardless of the quality, right? Eating Snickers bars, eating gels, eating goos, eating things with a lot of density of carbohydrates with very probably low fiber, very low low nutritional value other than just getting carbohydrates in the form of glucose, maltodextrin, maltose, etc. that you see these problems manifest. And if I have high circulating of body fat, 
I'm probably going to respond poorly to exercise stress, regardless if it's moderate or excessive. If I have excess levels of inflammatory foods that I'm creating some sort of immune response, I'm going to have a poor response to that. So I need to look at the, the thing that I can control. Okay, I can decrease body fat and I can increase foods that potentially, relatively speaking, aren't going to cause as a, a much of an allergenic response. Again, locally sourced, organic, free range, wild caught, pasture raised. It's a pretty damn good place to start. But the other level, let's say that you don't believe. Let's say that hey, I don't, I don't put a lot of stock into the organic. Man, I, I worked at a farm. I know that's all BS. Okay, that's fair, right? You know, I, I completely can understand that take, right? Or oh man, the cost of it's too much. Well, we do know for a fact that foods with artificial sweeteners, food dyes, pesticides, antibiotics, or high caloric density can cause some rapid problems for the immune system, specifically working on the detox system, right? And we talked about this before, the best offense is, is or the best defense is a good offense. Let's be proactive with getting foods that don't cause detoxification problems. And I, we can look at it from the fat standpoint that we're gonna respond poorly to stress if we have higher levels of circulating fat. We can debate on the idea of eating lower quality foods is gonna cause excess level of stress. But the thing that we can't debate is when we have foods that our body is not equipped to handle, right? High fructose corn syrup, artificial sweeteners, foods, dyes, pesticides, antibiotics, all these things that we're gonna to start to create problems with phase two detoxification pathway. That when we sleep, that we're gonna have this blockage to removing these pro removing these waste that we simply can't get rid of and that gets recirculated through the body we start to produce more estrogen and we start to store that in the form of toxins with adipose tissue adipose tissue are like a sponge for toxins so if we start to accumulate a lot of fat because we're eating very toxic foods and we're under a lot of stress and we have this overreactive response to said stress from exercise we could probably zero it back into well, are you sleeping enough? Are you drinking enough water? Yes, yes, okay, then we probably need to remove some of these other foods that are problematic, right? Do you eat a lot of processed foods? Do you eat a lot of convenience foods? Do you eat a lot of denatured foods in the microwave or eating a lot of metals? Do you have exposure to a lot of perfumes and dyes and things of that nature? You're just loading up your detox system with an already immunocompromised state by being an excessive amount of stress, eating low quality foods, and adding into this other element that your body can't detoxify the foods that you want. So when we're bottom lining all of this, and this is a lot to unpack, and again, I implore you to go read Cracking the Metabolic Code. I read stuff by Rob Rukowski, which I put a video up on there for him, who's just done a lot of seminal research. David Perlmutter talking about gut bacteria. You know, this information's out there. It's not like, it's not like put on your tinfoil hat and conspiracy theorists. It's hopefully it makes sense, right? When we look at when you do enough body comps and you look at the the training program and your hypothesis and you're like, yeah, this is the right protocol, right? Based off the biomechanical and what I need from a physiological perspective, this should be the right thing to do from increasing lean muscle mass or decreasing fat mass. But you hit this rate limiting step because you keep getting sick or they start to plateau prematurely. And you start to inventory what's going on. I eat a lot of processed foods. I eat a lot of convenience foods. I don't sleep or drink enough water. 
okay, well, these are all going to be problematic to us improving our body composition or increasing lean muscle mass, relatively speaking, to the greater goal. And when you start to look at, if I can somehow remove some of these rate-limiting steps, i got a better chance to helping that person. Then it goes into motivational coaching and interviewing and this idea of like, I don't want you to feel like I am trying to overwhelm you with this hearsay or pseudoscience. But what I'm sitting there and saying is when you're looking at foods and you're sitting in front of you, this could survive a nuclear war. Is it the best thing to eat on a consistent cadence? If I am exposed to a lot of stress, whether it's through work, family, life, if I'm exposed to a lot of stress through training, like I gotta train six days a week and I gotta go for broke every single time. If I eat a lot of foods that are based off of some sort of pre-existing notion of I gotta hit a certain calorie amount or macronutrient amount without any context to how it's sourced or when it was when it was pulled from the ground or butchered, there's gonna be some problems. Bottom line. And if I can start to chip away at, okay, well, let's drink more filtered water. Let's get you sleeping more. Maybe you just get people sweating more, going to sauna, doing some low-level cardiovascular exercise to help do detox. It's a win. Maybe you can get them going to a farmer's market and buying locally sourced seasonal foods. Maybe you can invest a little bit more in getting wild-caught, free-range, pasture-raised foods. And you're still adhering to principles of physiology between thermodynamics and breaking that up into the appropriate macronutrient split. And then you have a better chance, right? And this goes into when we debrief and evaluate the impact of our intervention. And we look at the hypothesis of what we thought to do is right or wrong, right? Did I have the right idea of what I was doing? That's a huge element. The other part was the execution. And it's easy in training, right? Did I hit all my sets and reps? Did I maintain tempo? Did I maintain bar speed? Great. It gets a little bit more problematic. And there's a lot of trust involved with saying, do you or don't you do this? And they're going to tell you what you think you want to hear more times than not. You do a three-day diet, they're going to put up their perfect three days every time. And that creates a lot of flaws behind that. But the other end goes into if you can figure out how to get people to systematically remove foods that are allergenic and toxic, remove things that are allergenic and toxic to their, in their environment. It could be just as much psychological as it is physiological. You have a much better chance to say, well, I did everything from a actual execution standpoint. I was on the right track from that standpoint. And then I could better evaluate the hypothesis of what I'm doing. Again, thinking like a scientist, looking at this objectively, saying, okay, was it the the plan or was it the execution of said plan as the problem, right? Validity and reliability. Was it right? And did I do it right? And these are foundational things. And when you get to this outcome of like, that was right. I, I feel my, I know that was right. Based off the body of evidence saying what to do in this situation. And I reach this rate limiting step from an execution standpoint. I can start to rule out some things as potentially hearsay or conspiracy. And I can leverage other resources like Dr. Laval and Rob Rakowski or Dr. Rakowski and even like other amazing people out there that can help break this down for you on a high level. And then you can get more functional outcomes and a more linear path. And by all means, take blood pressure, you know, get your resting heart rate, get your HRV, 
You know, HRV is fascinating, right? When we start to get an immune response, you start to see HRV dip. You start to see body temperature go up. Right? You know, that, that's it goes back into one of the old uh, oldest tests for developing some sort of allergy-based. When we look at allergy-based food test, you know, one of the things that's problematic is depending on your immunocompromised state or lack thereof leads to different results. A more time-tested, proven method is to remove the food for a month and then reintroduce in small amounts, in like, let's say, one-ounce amounts, and then you take your pulse. If your pulse raises 15 beats per minute in response to eating that food, you have an allergy to that food. You've removed it. Your body is now no longer creating some sort of natural or immune response to the foods that you're eating, right? And a lot of times we get this energetic response to foods that were allergenic, right? We get this endorphin rush. We start to release you know, positive chemicals in, in response to foods that are allergenic, right? It's it's an endorphin release to handle that histemic re response, right? Histamines have this symbiotic relationship with you know, analgesic and, uh, and opiate-like responses to foods, right? We start to release dopamine and serotonin and all sorts of stuff, and this is proven as well. On the other end, it's this dynamic of just test it, see what happens. Do you, is your body temperature raised and does your pulse raise when you eat certain foods? That's an immune response. That we shouldn't be sweating and we shouldn't be having this excessively high heart rate from food. There is a mild allergy. There are incompletely digested proteins entering your bloodstream causing autoimmunity. And your body's releasing cytokines to help handle this. And as we start to break down you know, what all that means, it just means we should avoid it. There's plenty of other food in the world. And it goes into the whole idea of exercise rotation. Typically, most people only eat about 10 foods in a given week, a month, a year. So having more balance, eating more seasonally, eating more organic, trying new foods, being more aware, eating more socially. You know, people people eat slower when they're interacting with others. People have a better relationship with food. There's a whole other level of like the communal aspect of it. The bottom line is when we're looking at the immune system, just tie it back into the bottom line. Are we improving body comp or not? And if we're not, we have to look at digestive system, we have to look at the lymphatic system, we have to look at potentially the uh, the detoxification system. And if we're overburdening it from a stress standpoint, from the foods we're eating standpoint, and from toxifying toxic food, toxic substances, like dyes, pesticides, antibiotics, all et cetera, we have to start to learn how to remove that. And we have to start to figure out creative ways to get people to do that. And that's how we get this response and rule out potentially that the intervention was right or wrong and the execution was right because we did these things so i hope that makes sense again i have all the resources listed in the references on the module help a ton get on the module see the graphics because there's just too much to unpack try to visualize these systems in isolation just by me talking um, i hope that helps we're going to go through maintaining of lean muscle mass throughout the course of a competitive season as a indicator for immune function and then uh We'll, we'll have a lot more to unpack and talk about as we go forward. All right, guys. Thank you, guys, and we'll see you guys next week.